Romans chapter number 11. Romans chapter number 11. Um, we're, we're about to finish up Romans chapter number 11, and this kind of finishes up the, the part that we've been talking about, about Israel and the, and the gospel of righteousness. Obviously, Israel was God's chosen people. They still are God's chosen people. And God had made some promises to Israel, and some of those promises had come to pass. Some of those promises have still yet to come to pass, but we are reminded that God keeps his promises, right? Well, this is the last portion of that teaching by Paul, and he's going to kind of bring home the fact that God still has plans for Israel, and the good news is he still has plans for you and me as well. You know what's amazing about God? He never gives up on you, okay? Even at times, John, when you gave up on him, even at times when you're like, I don't want to hear it, I want to get as far away from the things of God as I can, he never gave up on you. And that's why you're sitting here today. That's why you are, are, are going hard for God, and I'm so proud of you, bro. God never gives up on us, okay? And this teaching with Israel reminds us if God is going to be faithful to Israel, he's going to be faithful to us as well. So, again, the big takeaway over these last several weeks of teaching is God keeps his promises. Amen? So those of you that are standing on promises, those of you that are believing for someone's salvation, those of you that are believing for a healing, those of you that are believing for a breakthrough, don't stop believing. Amen? Because God keeps his promises. You see, Israel's history is a surety. There's, there's, a, there's a sure thing. It's obviously fact of, of Israel's history. God loves man with an infinite love. And God's love is unchangeable. Therefore, any person can be restored to God if the person will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and ask Jesus to save him. This is clearly seen in the history of Israel. Israel's restoration is a surety. It's a sure thing. It's going to happen. And as such, Israel stands as a prime example of the unchangeable, everlasting love of God toward man. So six things we're going to look at. Surety one, God's great revelation about the Jewish nation. Surety two, the promise of Scripture. Um, God's deliverer, Jesus Christ, will turn the hearts of Israel. Surety number three, God's pleasure with Israel's forefathers, those great patriarchs of faith. Surety number four, the believer's mercy and witness to the Jews. Surety five, God's holiness and mercy. And then finally, God's glorious plan for the world. So let's read the scripture together, and then we're going to pray. We're in Romans chapter number 11, beginning with verse number 25, okay? And so far, I don't need my reading glasses, so we're doing good. Romans chapter number 11, verse 25. Paul writes, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part has happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. For as in... For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. 
Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who had known the mind of the Lord? Or who had been his counselor? Or who had first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Guys, there's some rich truth in there, okay? And the bottom line is God is going to keep his promise to Israel just as sure as he's going to keep his promise to you, me, this church, this community. God always honors his word. Why is he keeping his covenant with Israel? Because his word declares it. If his word says it, you can bank on it. You can count on it. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I love you and I praise you. I just thank you for an opportunity tonight, Lord God, to search your scriptures. I ask that you'd bless us and you'd strengthen us, Lord, and you would just help to build our faith and remind us one more time that just like you're going to keep your promises to Israel, you're going to keep your promises to us as well. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. So we begin with verses 25 and 26, and this is the first surety, is God's revelation about Israel. The revelation comes from Paul. Note three things that Paul says. Number one, the revelation has been an unknown mystery until now. The word mystery in the Bible is not used as most men use the word, as something mysterious or difficult to understand. I think it's in Thessalonians where it says, Paul says, I, I show you a mystery. We show, no, it's Corinthians. It's the favorite uh, nursery verse, okay? Uh, we, will not, we will all be changed, okay? And in twinkling in an eye. A mystery is not something like kind of hard to figure out. It's something that God is revealing. It's something that God is making known in his word. So a biblical mystery means that something that was unknown is now revealed. Something that was hidden is now made known. Something that was secret is now told. See, the future of Israel is now revealed and made known to men. Note exactly why God revealed the future of Israel, that we be not ignorant of Israel's future, and that we be not wise in our own conceits or imaginations. That, that being wise in our own conceits has a couple meanings. Number one, so many times Gentiles, that's you and I, become guilty of looking down upon the Jews because Jews are so different from the rest of us. They rejected Jesus and are opposed to Christianity to such a degree that they remain almost exclusively among themselves. Gentiles face the danger of becoming puffed up, of thinking that they are more acceptable to God because they look with favor upon Jesus and are more open in professing him. There is the danger of being prideful and arrogant, of lording it over the Jews. When my wife and I went to New York City, she had the time of her life, and I just had a time. Okay? But one thing about the, the, the great city of New York is there, there's a strong Jewish population there. Okay? And, uh, and, and, you know, Jewish folks, especially out in public, wear the, what they call that? The yarmulke. Uh, there you go. It's, it's like the little hat. Okay? Um, and um, uh, so, so they stand out. You know, and, and, and you know, I, I love the people watch, okay? And, and there's different type of little hats, okay? Some of them, like, they're, they're, they basically stand out, okay? And if we, if we don't watch, um, so many times we can look down on them because we don't understand their traditions, we don't understand their ways, and ultimately, as a nation, for the most part, they've rejected Jesus. So we can real easily say, John, hey, man, get your act together, okay? But, but, but we can't take that position. Why? Because it's grace that has saved us. 
We didn't do anything to earn this grace. We didn't do anything to deserve this grace. God had chosen the Jewish nation, but because they rejected him, he then allowed us an opportunity. And I'm so glad that he did. But if we don't watch it, sometimes we can become puffed up and we can look down on Jewish people. That's the last thing we should ever do. Secondly, a Gentile, especially a Gentile believer, can begin to think that his idea of Israel's destiny is the correct idea and that he and the followers of his position are the persons who have a full understanding of the truth. All other understandings are incorrect. There's the danger of becoming wise in our own conceits. You see, the Bible tells us that Israel's present blindness is only partial. It's only in part. There were Jewish believers who followed Christ in his day. Remember his disciples? They were Jews. Okay? They recognized Jesus for who he was. I think the Holy Spirit opened up their eyes. And and that's the same Holy Spirit that opened your eyes. There was a time when you were blind to Christ. There was a time when you were just stuck in religion or you were stuck in, in this world. But the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to see Jesus for who he was. So God has always done that in the Jewish nation, okay? His disciples were, were folks that, that, that God had opened their eyes, okay? The blindness and the hardness of Israel to the gospel is not total. It's only partial. Granted, just as Scripture says, so many Jews have rejected and still do reject that it's as though all of Israel as a nation has stumbled and fallen over him. However, there have always been a remnant. There's always been some Jews. Therefore, Israel's blindness is only partial. And thirdly, not only is it only partial, it's also only temporary. Okay? Two statements clearly show this. Israel's boldness, or Israel's blindness, rather, is only until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Notice a real important point. It does not matter how a person interprets this clause. When the fullness of the Gentiles is completed, Israel's blindness will be removed, according to Scripture. Just what this means is open to different interpretations, but it does not change what is to happen to Israel. It only affects when the blindness is to be removed from Israel. Israel's blindness is to continue only until the fullness of the Gentiles comes. What does that event mean? The fullness of the Gentiles can mean a couple things. Maybe a certain number of Gentile converts to be saved, to fill up the cut-off branches of Israel. The end of the Gentile age, a time when the emphasis of salvation will no longer be upon the Gentiles, but upon the Jews. Or the end of the Gentile age, a time when God will rapture the church and cause a revival among the Jews who will then become the primary witnesses of him. This is what I believe that means, okay? I believe that that at the end of these days of grace, the church will be raptured out of here, okay? We're going to go. And then I believe this great end-time gathering back together of nation Israel is going to happen. The point is worth repeating. No matter what the phrase, the fullness of the Gentiles means, it does not change the event of Israel's revival. The blindness of Israel will be removed. God will keep his promise to Israel. Secondly, all Israel will be saved. This fact can be stated no clearer. Israel's blindness is temporary. The restoration of Israel is a surety. Israel shall experience a revival, and Israel shall turn to God's only Son, Jesus Christ. Guys, this should tell us that there's hope for every person. 
There is hope for every person. A person's blindness to the Lord is only partial. As long as a person is alive, he can still turn to Jesus. A person's blindness is temporary only if the person turns to Jesus, though. Unless a person believes and commits his life to Christ, his blindness can become permanent, and he can be lost forever. Now, guys, I've, done, I've seen God do some pretty amazing things in some, in some pretty rotten people's lives. Okay? I've seen God uh, soften people's hearts and, and, and turn things around in a moment. So don't you stop believing. Don't you stop praying. I think by a show of hands, we all know somebody who's unsaved, right? We all know somebody who's still not serving God like they should. Don't stop believing. As long as there's breath in their lungs, there is an opportunity for God to move. God's going to do it for Israel, and he's going to do it for you and me as well. Now, let's go a little bit deeper. There are many reasons for taking this passage at face value. That is, as a prediction of the Jewish people's conversion as a nation. See, the whole context favors this view. The conversion of the Jews as a probable event has been described in the plainest and the simplest of terms. That's basically what we've been talking about for the last three chapters of Romans. Secondly, the nation was rejected not as individuals, but as a community or a nation. Therefore, it's only natural to say that when God speaks of restoration, he's talking about a national restoration. Paul speaks of a great event, something that will attract universal attention. Paul says this is a mystery. The gradual conversion of a few Jews would be no mystery. When speaking of the mystery of the Gentiles, Paul is speaking of the Gentiles as a community being admitted into the church of God. Therefore, it's only natural to assume that when Paul speaks of the mystery of the Jews, he's speaking of a great event, a great movement of the Jewish nation back toward Jesus. The words all Israel cannot mean the spiritual Israel. Such an interpretation would do violence to the use of the word Israel throughout the whole context. It means Israel as a nation will come back to God. Why is that the case? Because God's word declared it. Let me read a few of those scriptures. Deuteronomy 30 and 3. Then that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee, and will return and gather thee from all the nations, whether the Lord thy God has scattered thee. Isaiah 1 and 26, And I will restore thy judges as at the first, and thy counselors as at the beginning. Afterward thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city of God. Jeremiah 23 and 3, And I will gather the remnant of thy flock out of all countries, whether I have driven them, and will bring them again to their folds, that they shall be fruitful and increase. God's going to keep his promises. Jeremiah 24, 6 and 7. For I will set my eyes upon them for good. Talking about nation Israel. I will bring them again to this land. I will build them, not pull them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. For they shall return unto me with their whole heart. See, God has decreed in his word that he's going to restore Israel. And he's got to honor his word. Amen? Now, verses 26 and 27. The second surety is the promise of Scripture. I just illustrated that a little bit. God's great deliverer, Jesus Christ himself, shall turn Israel. Scripture gives a glimpse into the future of Israel's restoration in this verse. But note, it's only a glimpse. Just how Israel will be restored is not discussed in the passage. Isn't it interesting 
We so much want to know the how. You know, we all have a promise, okay? Every one of you lifted your hand. You know somebody who doesn't know Jesus, okay? We know that it's God's will that all be saved, right? Second Peter 3 and 9. God is not slack concerning his promises, but long suffering, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Yeah, I've committed that to memory because that's what I pray over all my lost loved ones. I've been praying that over Ivy, and it worked. I prayed that over loved ones, and it's worked. I prayed it over your loved ones, and I've seen God honor that. So, again, guys, but we get caught up in the, the how. You know, instead of the how, why don't we just focus on the what, okay? The what is you're standing on a promise. The what is God has given you a promise. God has spoken to your heart that something's going to happen. You've read something in his word and something resonated in your heart and you said, that's a promise for me. So instead of focusing so much on the how, God, how are you going to figure this out? Just trust that he will and just stand on the what, okay? You know, so many times we get caught up in the how and we might miss a blessing because of it. Look, guys, if you could figure it out, you would already. If you could do it, God wouldn't have to. But some of us are believing something for so big, you can't figure out the how. You just have to trust, okay? Somebody needed to hear that tonight. So let's uh, let's let's look at uh, let's look at the promise. Let's look at the what that Paul talked about with regards to restoration of Israel. Some great manifestation of Christ the Deliverer will cause Israel to turn to the gospel. What exactly that is, we don't know, okay? But it's going to happen. Acts chapter number 3, verses 19 and 21. Repent ye therefore and be converted. Your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and you shall send Jesus Christ, which was preached unto you, Israel, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Promise from Isaiah 59, and the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth, shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. God keeps his promises. The great deliverer of Jesus Christ will do two things for Israel. Number one, he'll turn away ungodliness from Israel, Isaiah 27 and 9. And Jesus Christ will fulfill God's covenant with Israel. He will take away their sins. We read that in Isaiah 59. Guys, remember that great promise of Isaiah 55 and 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto me unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, and he will abundantly pardon. God is going to abundantly pardon Israel. God is going to restore Israel, and he will do the same for you if you'll simply trust him. He'll do the same for your loved ones. He'll do the same for that person you've been praying for. John, that person you've been ministering to, he'll do the same. Verses 28 and 29. The third surety is God's pleasure with Israel's forefathers. You see, guys, there were some great patriarchs of faith. There were some great men and women of God that, that went before, and there were some great men of faith, and God is going to honor their faith. Remember the Abrahamic covenant when God made a promise to Abraham? Remember the Davidic covenant? It's a tough word. I'm trying to say it best. 
when God made promises to David, God is going to keep those promises. Why? Because God had pleasure in these great men of faith. Note that God did what he had to do. He turned to the Gentiles. Israel as a nation had rejected God, so God turned to the Gentiles. But God still plans to keep his promises because of Israel's forefathers. The point here is that God is speaking nationally, not individually. We must remember that this is absolutely essential for everyone to make a personal decision for Christ, okay? The statement, the Jews are beloved because of their father, showed that God still loves Israel. As a people, they are precious to him. How can this be said when they've been so hostile, when they've rejected Jesus? You see, the forefathers of Israel were godly people, people of unusual faith in God, people like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Deborah, Ruth, Elijah. The list could go on and on. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 says this in verses 32 through 38. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the enemies, the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn asunder, tempted, slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens of the caves of the earth. This is talking about some of those great patriarchs, and God's going to honor faith. Guys, there's another big takeaway. God keeps his promises, and God honors faith. Okay? If you'll keep your faith, if you'll keep believing, why is it the enemy tries to steal your hope? Why is it he tries to steal your faith? Why is he trying to get you to doubt God? Because if he can do that, he can win. But if he can't do that, he can't win. Amen? Don't lose your faith. Don't stop believing. Such godly men and women knew God. They knew him personally. They knew him intimately. And God would never forget a people who loved him like that. Keep this in mind as well. Godly people are praying people. Okay? People who pray for their families, their neighbors, for their nation and their world. God hears and answers those prayers. Guys, think about it. Those prayers that your mama prayed for you. Those prayers that grandma prayed for you. Those prayers that have been prayed over this church. This church is only alive today because of some of those prayers. And some faithfulness. Some faithful people and and a very faithful God. Amen? So guys, God keeps his promises. And then there's the second reason why God still loves Israel. God himself is unchangeable in his gifts and his callings. Let me read to you verse number 29 again. Verse number 29 of Romans 11 says this, For the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. You know, I think of that scripture and I think of, uh, think of the first king of Israel. Okay? 
Saul was an amazing king, okay? He stood literally head and shoulders above everybody else. Came from a very small tribe, came from a small family. God promoted him, okay? And at the beginning, he started out so strong. He had so much promise. But somewhere along the line, he messed up. Somewhere along the line, he forgot that it was God who had put him there, and only God could keep him there. And he decided maybe that, that, that I can do this on my own. There's a lesson for all of us today, okay? And God rejected him, okay? But did God instantly remove him? No, because God had decreed this is going to be the king. Okay? If you remember, you can go and read the story. The prophet Samuel was crying. He was mourning. He was like, and the Lord said, stop crying for him. I found a new king. I've anointed a new king. Of course, we're talking about David, somebody who was after God's own heart. But you see, God, God, God calls some people. God empowers some people. And, 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 and he honors that. He honors that, okay? You know, some of you may think you blew the plan of God in your life. Honey, you're not that strong. You're not that powerful. As long as there's breath in your lungs, the plan of God is still alive and real in your life. Okay? And I just want to let you know, I've, I've talked to some ministers who have failed miserably. I've, met, I've talked to some people that maybe felt the call of God on their life and then walked away from God and said, God can't use me. I said, stop believing the lies of the devil. Because God calls and equips and honors that call. Okay? Why? Because of verse number 29. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. God doesn't change his mind. If he called you long ago, he hadn't changed his mind. You may have changed. You may have made some poor decisions, but God hadn't changed his mind. God has decreed that he's going to use Garland Thomas, and he's going to use you, okay? He's decreed that he's going to use you, John. He's going to use you, Katie. He's going to use each and every one of us in here. And once he's made up his mind, you know what I love about God? He's the ultimate hardhead. Okay? I don't, I don't think I ever said that before, but he's the ultimate hardhead. Why? Because he's made up his mind and you can't change it. Anybody know any hardheaded folks? Okay? Miss Annalie, don't poke Brother Bernie right now, okay? Just smile at me, okay? But we all know hardheaded people. Well, you know what? Some of us might have got that from God because God has made up his mind about you just like he made up his mind about nation Israel. And he's not about to change his mind. You want some scriptures to back that up? I've got a few. Psalm 33 and 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, but thoughts of his heart to all generations. Malachi 3 and 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. Or Hebrews 13 and 8. Jesus Christ, the same what? Yesterday, today, and forever. The point is very clear. God does not change his mind. By the way, some of you ladies could learn from that. Okay, that, that went over really well, okay? I thought my guys would give me an amen, okay? But, uh, but God is constant. He's immutable. He's unchangeable. He's made up his mind about you just like he's made up his mind about Israel, and he's going to keep his promises. Let's wrap things up, verses 30 and 31. The fourth surety is the believer's mercy and witness to the Jews. These two verses are speaking historically. Very simply, history shall be repeated. In times past, before Christ ever came, the Gentiles did not know and obey God, but the Jews did. Eventually, the Jews rejected God, which is ultimately seen in their killing of God's son, Jesus. They, too, failed to believe or obey God. Therefore, God turned to the Gentiles. Now, note, if we came to know God 
through the unbelief of the Jews, how much more shall the Jews be shown mercy through the mercy of through the mercy of the Gentiles. To word the matter another way, if mercy resulted from unbelief, how much more shall mercy result from mercy? If mercy to the Gentiles came through the unbelief of the Jews, how much more shall mercy to the Jews come through the mercy of the Gentiles? God has shown mercy to the Gentiles. He's surely going to show mercy to his people, to nation Israel. God is going to restore the Israel nation. Jews will be reached by the mercy of God. They shall believe and obey Jesus as Lord. The Jews shall be restored into the favor of God. Every believer who knows the mercy of God should share the mercy of God. God hates exclusivity or prejudice or partiality. The The world desperately needs the good news. The Jew as well as the Gentile. God demands that his mercy be shared with the world. How many folks in here grew up in church? Grew up in church. Lift your hand. You're going to remember this scripture, the old CA scripture. Do you know what CA stands for? Christ ambassadors. Here's that scripture. You didn't think I knew that, right? By the way, I did, and Mr. Chantel told me. Okay, the second Corinthians chapter number five, verses nineteen through twenty. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of of reconciliation. Now then, we are what? Ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's feed, be ye reconciled to God. Basically, the same mercy that you've enjoyed from Jesus, share with others. Guys, the gospel is good news. The good news is you don't have to be bound by your sins. You can be free. You can be restored. Verse uh, verse 32. The fifth surety is God's holiness and mercy. Obviously, we recognize that God is holy. God is set apart. God is different. And his mercy is his decision to, to show mercy to so many people. I'm so glad that he showed mercy to me. Amen? All men, Jew and Gentile, are are shut up in their world of sin. Why? That God may have mercy upon both. The holiness and the love of God are sure that the Jews will be saved and restored because of the mercy of God. All that is needed is for the Jewish people to begin seeking God. God will have mercy upon any who genuinely seek him. Remember the importance of faith, Hebrews 11 and 6. But without faith... It's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is the what? Rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Deuteronomy 4 and 29. But if from thence the world thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Micah 7 and 18. Who is a God like unto thee that pardons iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delights in mercy. And the final surety is God's glorious plan for the world. A couple things for us to note. God's glorious plan for the world involves four great acts. Number one, his infinite wisdom and knowledge. Knowing how to do everything perfectly, knowing how to create and arrange and work everything out in order, God has a plan. We just have to trust that plan. We have to trust that plan even when we don't understand that plan or we don't even see that plan. 
You know, God is always doing so much more than you can see. God is, this page, God has already gone before you in New Orleans. God's already going to connect you with the right person in the permit office, and there's going to be favor there. God is already working on our behalf. We don't see it, but we got to believe it, because that's how God works, okay? God is just such a master, master in, in, in putting things in order and working things out for our good and for His glory. Secondly, his infinite, ju- his infinite judgments and ways, His judgment in planning and deciding everything. He knows best. He simply knows best. Look, guys, believers don't live their life by chance, okay? We live our life according to the wisdom and the knowledge of God. We trust that God orchestrates things in our lives. You know, just, uh, I guess it was yesterday when I, when I went to see Audie and, and Rebecca in the hospital. They had just got out the cath lab and had just found out that he was going to have to have open heart surgery. And literally the moment I walked in, two other ministers walked in. What are the odds of three people, three preachers being at the same place and there wasn't a buffet involved? I mean, what are the odds of that, okay? There was no fried chicken within miles, okay? So we all show up at the same time, and, and Rebecca, of course, was a little bit emotional and just was really thanking God that we had all gathered there, and we talked to her, and we prayed with them, and, and, uh, and, and, and they were encouraged. And guys, that's not by chance. That is the providence of God, knowing what his children needed, knowing what Rebecca needed, knowing what Audie needed, and, and God works like that, guys, and he'll do the same for you. you just got to trust him. Amen? See, no man can grasp God's plan. No man can know the mind of the Lord. We're just not that smart. Okay? No man can truly grasp every detail of God's plan. Scripture makes that abundantly clear. 1 Timothy 6 and 16. Jesus Christ, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Now, believers, however, we do have the mind of Christ, okay? This does not mean that believers understand God in all of His ways perfectly, but it does mean that God reveals Himself and reveals His truth to us as believers. Amen? 1 Corinthians 2 and 16, For who has known the mind of the Lord, that He may instruct Him, but we have the mind of Christ? Amen? Sometimes God will let you in on stuff. I love when He does that. I wish He'd do it more often. Sometimes he keeps me in the dark on stuff. I don't like when he does that. But guess what? I'm going to serve him either way. I'm going to trust him either way. You know what, guys? Sometimes I like surprises. Okay? And apparently God likes giving me surprises sometimes. That's when he keeps me in the dark. If it, Brother Wade, you're in the dark on some things. God just wants to surprise you. Okay? I know you'd rather get a full download, and as the computer programmer, you want to have all your little ducks in a row. Sometimes God will do that. Sometimes he won't. Amen? But we've got to trust Him no matter what. Amen? We're almost done. No man can earn God's gift. You know, I said this Sunday in my, in my text, Ephesians 2, 8-9, For by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Guys, we, we did nothing to earn God's grace. He's just been freely given, just say thank you and live appropriately. 
Finally, God alone is the source, the means, and the end of all things. Therefore, God is to be glorified forever and ever. All things are of God. All things were created by and find their source in God. All things are through God. All things come through His wisdom and knowledge, His judgment and His ways, and all things are to God. All things exist for Him, for His goodness and His pleasure. I close with these three scriptures. Revelation 4 and 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. 1 Corinthians 6 and 20. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And finally, John 15 and 8. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. God wants us to bear fruit. God wants us to make a difference where we where we go. God wants us to make a difference at home, at our workplace, in our community, in our schools. He wants us to make a difference everywhere we go. Friends, you were bought with a price. Now glorify the Lord in that body that he bought. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we just love you and we praise you. Thank you, Lord God, that you still keep your promises. Ask right now, Lord God, just as surely as you're going to restore Israel, God, you restore some other things as well. God, some of us are believing you. We're believing you for healing in our families. We're believing you for healing among churches. We're believing you, Lord God, for restoration in certain situations or or circumstances. Lord, just as surely as you're going to keep your promises to Israel, you're going to keep your promises to us. Lord, I ask right now, Lord God, that you would encourage each and every one of us, that you would bless each and every one of us. And I ask right now, Lord God, that you would help us, Lord, to look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith, to realize that without faith it's impossible to please you. But, God, you are the rewarder of them that diligently seek you. God, we want to diligently seek you in everything that we do and everything that we say. Bless us today, Lord. Thank you for keeping your promises to Israel. Thank you for keeping your promises to us. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.